Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Today, I'm joined by one of the organizers of this year's International Women's Day, Ashley Scales. The United Nations began celebrating International Women's Day during the International Women's Year in 1975. In 1977, the General Assembly invited member states to proclaim March 8th as the UN Day for Women's Rights and World Peace. This year, International Women's Day comes on the heels of unprecedented global movement for women's rights, equality, and justice. Sexual harassment, violence, and discrimination against women has captured headlines and been a big part of the public discourse propelled by a rising determination for change. Now, more than ever, there's a strong call to action, motivating and uniting friends, colleagues, and whole communities to think, act, and women are doing just that. The UN theme for International Women's Day this year is Time is Now, Rural and Urban Activists Transforming Women's Lives. Organizers in Southeast Michigan include women from all walks of life, including labor and community activists. These women will be recognizing and celebrating women's rights and equality with a program on Saturday, March 10th. Their theme for this Women's Day event is creating victory through values, voices, and vision. Joining Collections today to talk about this program is Ashley, who is one of the organizers. She's a wife, mother, and proud member of the UAW. Ashley has served as executive board member guide for UAW Local 160 in 2015. She's currently District 1 alternate representative for skilled trades and non-trade members in the pre-production body shop machining and stamping areas. Ashley, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, there's a lot of versions about how International Women's Day came to be, but most stories lead back to 1908 when 15,000 women marched through New York City protesting violence against garment workers and demanding better pay, better working conditions, and voting rights. It seems like union activity, women's rights go hand in hand. How, what came first for you? Um, feminism, uh, community activism, or being part of a UAW? Um, I would say a culmination of everything. Um, and the UAW actually came later. So I would say mm-hmm. community activism. I was pretty involved in the community. I'm actually a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Mm-hmm. And so 
it was through there that I began to see um, a lot more community involvement and really the importance of um, having more equal rights, even in the workplace, but also when it came um, to not only voting, but just understanding, too, how many and almost everything affects women, right? So mm-hmm. I would say initially um, probably more community. Um, I'm also a sociology major, so a lot of that feminism resonates with me. Um, mm-hmm. And then that just almost naturally flowed into my work with the UAW. Now, you know, I know exactly what you mean because although often you see images of these male leaders, you know, in the union, but my mother worked for Uniroyal, and she was a member of the union. And more and more women have have become half, if not more, of a unionized labor force. And it seems like a lot of the issues that affect us are things that, were negotiated in contracts, like with many civil rights issues, that labor sort of took the lead. I know for things like maternity leave, we're still talking about equal pay and work-family balance. All of these are union issues now. With what you do now, how do you how do you pick up that mantle? You know, as what you see this changing workforce that's really women, and it's more than just you know women in the auto industry. I think that we pick up that mantle. First and foremost, I would say that my biggest, um, the biggest thing that I like to see is, is mentorship. And I really would push women to do things that they didn't think that they could do. Because I tell people all the time, I am a wife, I am a mother, but you can still be a wife and a mother and be in a leadership position. And I think too often we become almost pigeonheeled into our roles at home that we can't really figure out how to balance it. And to be quite frank, a lot of times when you are in leadership in male-dominated fields, it's very difficult to, to navigate. And so a lot of the usual struggles that may be broken down um, for other men may not be broken down for women, in all honesty. And so mm-hmm. it becomes an even bigger challenge for you. Um, and so I guess for me picking up that mantle is, is going through all the obstacles that I have the drive to do, but learning from those obstacles and creating pathways for other women. You know, there, there was every now and then you hear politically, you know, people say, oh, there's no need for a union. You find a lot of places are trying to come in and, you know, negate the need for it. But then when you stop and you look at things like we're talking about fair wages, particularly with restaurant workers and all these other things, it seems like to me there's just as a need, an important need for unions now as ever and also, you know, there's that link. If you have fair wages for people, particularly women, then you have strong communities. So it sort of seems like, you know, equal pay, fair wages, protecting women's rights, which is like one of the hallmarks of being union organizing, are really part of rebuilding our communities. I mean, absolutely. I, I really firmly believe that unions are still needed today because 
the reason why unions were so strong and formed was because they were looking for dignity and respect. And I didn't care whether you were male or female. That's why you needed them. And I see today the average worker is producing more, doing more. They're at the very beck and call of anyone that they work for due to the phone and the technology, and yet our wages have not increased. And you see that it's very become even greater with women. And really, if you really look at unions for women, you have no complaint with unions. I mean, you have no reason to not want to be a part of the union because everybody gets the same wage. It, cre- mm-hmm. it eliminates all of the inequities that occur in a corporate society because, you know, I work at General Motors, and, and many of them, they all get paid differently. They have different contracts, different things that they have in terms of vacation time, um, even in terms of uh, paid time off, right, for if you're sick or if you're pregnant. They have different things set forth individually. They have these different contracts, and it's all unequal. And truly women aren't being paid as much as their male counterparts, and I find often that they are definitely more qualified, very capable of doing the job. However, in those male-dominated societies, when you don't have an equalizer like the union, then you don't have the ability to create an equal and fair pay and, and fair benefit package, right? Everybody's got the same um, benefits, the same pay, right? You don't have an equalizer to institute that. So then many sectors in America could really truly benefit from having a union. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I mean, because when you stop and you think, I mean, if you have, you know, just to, to use a, uh, if you make $100 and you're a single mother, that $100, you know, you have to include in your child care, you know, sometimes it means that you have to make a decision like, okay, your kid is sick, you know, staying home, and what does that mean to you? So you have all these things that you're responsible for. And like you said, often, you know, they're not looking at it. They're saying, well, it's like, you know, well, everybody, they should, they should do that. Women juggle so much that, you know, who's there to protect them, who's there to look out for them, or to take to the business owners, the corporations, to make them aware of the complexity of women workers. Exactly. You don't have anybody but the union, in, in all honesty. And I, I deal with it on a regular basis. I mean, people, and women especially, we go through a lot of things. You know, we have children who have illnesses. Um, we have homes that we have to run, Don't you know, I'm pregnant now, you know, having to juggle all of the prenatal appointments. And a lot of times your specialists are only available during the week. And you need every bit of your paycheck, right, especially if you're a single mom, okay? You need every mm-hmm. bit of that paycheck, but you have to take off from work, essentially, to go to the doctor's office. Because the way that it's structured, you know, you, you – basically have to lose out or lose out on pay in order to take care of your child. And you don't really have anybody to voice those concerns. Men, typically, they are sympathetic to women's issues. However, women themselves, if if they take a leadership position, they are more likely to institute change to make things better. And unions do that, and unions give women the opportunity. I mean, if you look at Vice President Cindy Estrada, 
They give women mm-hmm. the opportunity to lead, and we need more women in leadership positions. We need more women running for political offices. There's more women than men in America, and yet we still don't have paid child care, okay, which is a huge thing. Um, with women working, most of our paychecks, almost all of it at times, goes immediately to your daycare provider. Um, and even when you look at um, FMLA, what if you could be paid like European countries while you're at home? It's not like you're mm-hmm. not working. <laughs> it's not like you're at home just laying down, okay? We're taking mm-hmm. care of our children. But if we were to truly run and, and represent based upon the – Based upon the fact that there's more women than men, it's our Congress and our governments looked like that, and even our unions for that matter, how much different would our society be? Now, you know, last year I I had the privilege of being on the stage with Cindy Estrada at the, the, the first Women's March, and a lot of these points that you're making she brought up, but you see it seems like from that march, on through like we had the women's convention we had another march this year it really does seem that women are stepping up their game and more and more women are running for office what do you see as your role in that or you know often like we've often we have counted on many of the candidates who represent the masses people equal rights, civil rights, have been supported by the union. And now there's a, you know, we see what we have going on in Washington and for that matter here in Michigan. What type of organizing are you doing specifically about women? Because like I said, Cindy was there, I mean, and people, there were men there who said, yes, she's talking about what we still need to be talking about. But what is your role now, not only as far as, raising these issues, but keeping people motivated so that, you know, it's more than just making sure that you get an equal paycheck, is that people become engaged and involved and knowledgeable about what's happening in their community. What I think is, um, and what I will say is this, a lot of um, individuals in labor, a lot of us, because we work all the time, and, and really for most of our communities, you're working so much that you're not familiar with what's going on in our communities. And so um, part of what's going on with the women creating caring communities is I I believe that we humanize some of the social things that are going on, right? We get people to, because the news will tell you, yes, we've had this march, but to see somebody explain why they march and to have that person actually communicating with people who are not only in the community but also are part of labor. And one thing that we can do as labor and we have done as labor is we have um, the ability to donate to different political campaigns. And I, and I believe firmly that not only supporting them and, noting, and, and giving them information about what's going on and what candidates are doing, but also the ability to um, support those campaigns. Because nowadays, you know, we have – conglomerates in the races, right, that are spending so much money and really also knocking doors. There is not a UAW member around who will tell you that they're not knocking doors and they're not making um, the, the phone banks that we have. We literally are calling people 
to come out and vote, to come out and support specific candidates. We even have a list of candidates that we go by based upon extensive interviews that they go through. They interview by UAW members. And so I believe that we already kind of had a built-in process, but what I will say is that I do believe that the wave of President Trump has awakened a whole new level of participation within organizing. Um, we've always had different things in place, but the participation, getting people out there was difficult, but now people are starting to see that how much politics affects their daily lives. They're starting to see that my daughter could be affected, um, you know, if she, let's say she's in a, um, at, at a certain job, right? And the, and the mm -hmm. fact that she may feel as if she has to do something to try to get a raise, that her intelligence, that her ability and capability to doing the job is not enough. And so these things are starting to resonate with not only our membership but the community. And so sometimes I do feel like we always have had organizing. Organizing has never changed. However, the things that are occurring and the events that are occurring are starting to resonate with our communities. And now we've had an uptick in that. So what we can do is we continue to do what, we've, what we have in place, but now it's amplified tenfold because not only are our members, but now we've got our community partners who are also saying, yes, we're going to go to the Women's March. We're going to go and support women's candidates, right? We're going to create pathways for women to run. I mean, even now with the Region 1 Women's Council, we're making a plan so that we can educate women on how to run for office. And so now you have all of these organizations like Emily's List, and they're breaking down barriers that weren't there before, right, or mm -hmm. that weren't there to help bridge those gaps. Because how many people know how to run for office? That's true. <laughs> not, mm -hmm. not very many. Mm -hmm. So to have mm -hmm. these organizations come through and say, hey, you can run. You don't have to be perfect. People have done it being single moms. And tell them how the system works. And, and it's really, that is an overall organizing version of mentorship, and I believe it's our role to support that and to continually remind our membership and engage them into the issues that are going on today. Well, you know, and I think that that's so true. And, and many people, they look at it and to not know that, 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 you know, they go like, oh, well, I can only do it if I have tons of money and this and that. But to know that there's that support and that this is how you do it, and a lot of it is that grassroots, that ground game. You know, one of the things that it says is, um, on the flyer, it says women creating caring communities. And, you know, and we have seen if you go from the UN level on down to in neighborhoods that as women are empowered, as women um, have uh, pay equity, more better rights, better health care, but as women become stronger, our communities become stronger. It happens everywhere from the east side of Detroit to in India and, and Mumbai. You know, so you, we, you see that um, where you find people are doing it. It's the women creating caring communities. Do you think that part of using that, that theme is about that, you know, re-empowering women, letting them know, like, you know, you are strong. You are powerful. You can do this. 
I think it's absolutely that that you are not only capable but also providing platforms for women who have done it. And them expressing, you know, even some of the vulnerabilities that come, you know, because sometimes you look at them and you say, wow, they've got this great title, they're leading this, they're running this, and you for you you now get to see the hum the human part of them, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do run this corporation, but do I get anxiety about it? Do I get flustered about juggling my children and my family? Yes, but understanding how they do it, right? and how they've been able to become a benchmark in their community. And and really one unique thing about women creating caring communities to me is that you have a variation of age. So you have um, people who come who might be more seasoned, and you have a lot of youth involved, which is really, I believe, important um, because too often we we become labeled and we become – separate as a result of these labels, right? We don't want to interact with each other because that's a millennial, you know, Mm -hmm. um, this is a baby boomer, and all of these labels really create these divides. And truly um, what Women Creating Caring Communities does is it does show women at different leadership levels but also at different ages at different leadership levels. And having them intersect, which I think is important because, we can sit down and have a conversation or you can have a conversation with the millennial even if you're a baby boomer, right? We can Mm -hmm. still have those conversations and learn from one another and really almost um, kind of help mentor other women because, of course, this also provides an opportunity for women to get, um, to have the ability to question, to interact with women in different leadership positions in their communities and also in labor. So it really, I think, brings forth a true intersectionality of women, and then you bring in labor, you bring in age, and so you have this this platform. And we're not necessarily an organized group like, you know, um, like the UAW or the NAACP, you know, these groups that mm-hmm. they have structure and stuff like that. However, we are a group that provides a platform so that people understand that they can do things. We, we promote advocacy, and we promote and make people understand why, for example, the Detroit 15 campaign is, is so important, why community benefits, why we have all of these corporations coming to the city of Detroit, right, why all of that is all equally important. And you bring forth a, a platform for these women to speak who are involved in their community, who are involved in labor, and you get both of them to understand that we're all working together towards the common goal. And the common goal really is to uplift women and to give them the opportunity to be in leadership, to make change, and to bring up their communities as a result. So how did you go? Because, I mean, it sounds like this is in your DNA. But how <laughs> did you come? I mean, I, say, I, mean, I mean, really, you know, it's, it's a natural for you to be doing what you're doing, and it's a natural part to me to see. I know that some of the people who are involved are community activists. There's people who are with community-based organizations. They're, you're there from a union. How did, this, how did you guys come together, and, you know, what, what, what drew you all together? What, what got you sitting at that table to talk about 
okay, what are we going to do for International Women's Day? This should be our program. What pulled you all together? So the origination of this group actually came from Grace Lee Boggs and Vice mm-hmm. President Cindy Estrada sitting down. And really, Grace Lee Boggs was pushing Cindy to, you know, create some type of pathway for community and labor to get involved. And so the group originated from that. And I will tell you, um, I, I have been a part of the Region 1 Women's Council for two years now. And mm-hmm. so as a volunteer of this event, I went for the first time. And what I loved about the event was there was a young lady there from Detroit 15. And I will tell you, so many people knock the D15 campaign. And the reason why they do, they say, well, you know, why do they deserve $15 for flipping a hamburger, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why is they, you know, their struggle so much more important than mine? And so there's all this divisionary context to it. But listening to that young woman who said, I went to college, I could not afford to keep going to college and not pay down my student loans. So I took off, and I, the only job I could really find was at Checkers. So she started working at Checkers. Now she talks about the fact that when she lays in her bed at night, Thursday night before she's getting paid on Friday, she's thinking about who she can pay. And it's not like she can pay all of her bills based upon the checker's check, right? She basically has to select which one she can, which one she has to pay because she's got a shutoff notice here or there, and then she has student loans. She has a one-year-old son. So she has all of these things to try to juggle with her. I, I believe that she was making maybe 5 or $7, I can't recall, but she wasn't making very much money at all. And so she's trying to figure out how to juggle all of that. And what she says is she pays her bills, and then when she goes to the store, she can't even afford to buy tampons. Mm-hmm. And that just, that is just, you know, as a woman, like, that that just hit me hard because you think of tampons as nothing like tissue paper, right? Like, it's a mm-hmm. basic necessity that you need. And this is a young woman who is not, she's not lazy. She's not doing anything wrong. I understand. I, I've got student loans myself. And it's, and it's difficult to find viable, good employment. And so she says as a result of her going through this strike and pushing for money, they gave her a five-cent raise. Hmm. Five cents. And people don't understand that. Yes, you, we will always put out there, and even in the UAW, you learn, you never start low. You always want to start or go higher because you already know a corporation is going to try to undercut that, right? So it was astounding, though, because I deal, you know, we deal with negotiations all the time. It was astounding that they asked for $15 an hour, which would have been a $7 pay increase, and they got a nickel. Mm-hmm. All of that pressure, all of that news coverage, everything that they were doing got them a nickel. And to me, that really humanized that whole event for me because you begin to understand there are very many jobs out here. And so checkers may be what she can't find. And, and that's the realities of America today with automation, with all of these um, mm-hmm. innovations of technology. 
And even with the college degree, which I do have, it is still very difficult to even live off of $15 an hour, to be quite frank. And here we have a young lady who was unable to continue going to college because college is very expensive. And so $7 an hour, she's fighting, fighting, you know, organizing, pushing, and she has a nickel. And then we sit here and we knock her. But how can you knock her when she's working Mm -hmm. every day? She's doing everything that she possibly can, even going without. She's going without tampons, for Christ's sake. If that does not bring out sympathy and, and make you want to fight for these people, I don't know what else will, because that is basic mm-hmm. dignity, right? You, you, gotta pay, you have to pay your lights so you can't have a tampon. You know what I mean? Like, this uh-huh. is really what it's boiling down to. And to me, that really humanized it for me. And I always tell people, at my location, who always give me a knock and say, well, I don't, I don't really agree with this. And I give them that story, and all of a sudden they're stunned mm. because too many people don't understand the realities of America and that everything has gone up but wages. And mm-hmm. so, really, if we were keeping up with inflation and the wages that it should be, way higher than what it is, but it's not. It has not increased. And so... These are the things that I think are truly important and why women creating care in communities is so important because it really humanizes things. I think we become so desensitized primarily because we're working all the time and we think that things don't really touch us. But when you have another human spirit tell you that they're struggling, I don't know how you could not want to help them, not want to stand in solidarity with them. And we do. We get, we get, we organize as members and we go out there and we help them because we understand. And I think that the rest of America has to also understand. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm, we're going to take our first break here and I want to come back to that because I think that's, that's such an important uh, illustration. So we will be right back. You are listening to Collections by Michelle Brown and we are talking about international Women's Day, which is coming up March 8th, with Ashley Scales. And we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. We're back here on Collections uh, by Michelle Brown with Ashley Scales. I said, Ashley, I have to tell you my my Gracely Bob story and International Women's Day because it has always been a place where, like you said, you come, you network with people, you hear about what people are doing. And I often tell people that one of 
a pivotal moment in my life was I was going into International Women's Day and Grace Lee Boggs was coming out of and she stopped and she said, we're trying to do something here in Detroit that you need to be a part of. We need everybody to be there. And that was in 1991 and she was talking about Detroit Summer. And from Detroit Summer, so many things have come. You know, the Box Center, uh, a whole lot of work. But it, it was about that being able to have a place where here we were women coming in knowing that you would meet another woman who was equally involved in your community and pass that word. And like I said, you know, it was like it really took me from being at one point like, okay, this is what we have to do, look and see. And as I listen to you tell that story about that, that young woman, I can recall going to some of those meetings and having someone talking about what they were seeing in their community. And then just, I'd say, two weeks ago, going to a meeting with women, and some of them were talking about, you know, how those women, like somehow they were busy talking about, you know, where they were, in fact, one was talking about how she had a bag that cost X many thousands of dollars, so she could certainly give a little bit, you know. And, like, she was not connecting with the people who were sitting on the other side of the room to this one woman was talking about how many buses she had to take and how early she had to get up just to get to this job that didn't allow her to pay her bills, and it's mm-hmm. sort of like to have a place where we can come together because there are people who have desensitized themselves to what's happening with the rest of them or sort of saying like this woman, the one who had this bag, lived in a suburb, an affluent suburb. She said she hadn't been in Detroit in years. She had gotten away from that. But to share those stories, like something as basic. I mean, you can't get any basicer than human rights to say that you have to decide between paying your bill and buying a tampon, you know. I mean, Mm -hmm. that brings it all right home. And that's why, you know, to have this, this date, to have people sort of come in and reconnect with and to hear these true, real stories, something that's going to make it really real, it is so important. It absolutely is. I, 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 actually, I would say there was a member at my local as a gentleman. He's a big history buff, but you know he talks about how because I told him in the '60s it was just you know everybody was in love and it was very liberal, right? Mm-hmm. But he said that it only became liberal because everybody started seeing those body bags coming home, and so their next door neighbor or their brother or some member of their family someone in their community that they knew was coming home in a body bag. And so people began to become more outspoken and involved, and they started changing our society, right? But it was because it was resonating with them, right? There's something that's now it's touching you. Now you truly see the effects of it. And really without this platform, many people – probably would not understand, again, what this young woman goes through. And they would also not understand either that 90% of the 
of the fast food workers are probably women. And I always mm-hmm. challenge people to go to a fast food line and look who, look at who's working. And I would guarantee that almost 99% of the time it's at least 90% of women in there. And so here we are again. Yes, it's Detroit 15, but really and truly it is a woman's issue because women dominate that field. Women dominate the waitress field. And they can pay them $2.50 an hour in Michigan. $2.50 per hour. And now they're considering taxing their wages, their their tits. And it's just like, here you are, I get paid $2.50, you tax that. And now you want to tax the tits? It's astounding. And these are women's issues because it's predominantly um, um, jobs or positions that women have. And it's rather unfortunate that we look at them and we say, oh, this is not deserving and that's not deserving, not understanding that we're knocking ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and aren't we also, because let's face it, many women have children, you know, and mm-hmm. when you throw away the mother, you're throwing away the child. And that's our future, you know, and that's our future. So investing in women today is investing in the future, in future women, and even in future young men, because these are their children. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I firmly believe this. I, I know I have a lot of friends who are teachers, and they always comment about, you know, um, wanting the parents to become more involved. And, it, and I, what I will say is very difficult. I mean, imagine mm-hmm. if you are a mother out here who is single, who's got to catch all these buses to get to work, and you need really and truly two jobs just to make ends meet. And what falls through the cracks? Our children. So now mm-hmm. our children have no support base. They don't have a parent who's able to get involved because now, you know, just to be, meet basic necessities. And really, as you, when you look at income, you end up spending 75 80% of your money when you are in a lower income on just basic necessities. And so now we have really done not only a disservice to this woman because people say parents get involved. You need to do this. You need to do that. However, we have not created a society that allows them to really meet their basic needs. So now she has to work. She has to do two jobs. Sometimes people are working three jobs because you got to piecemeal them together to make ends meet, and now her child slips through the cracks. And really, due to no fault of her own, because what she's trying to do is get him his basic necessities, right? And if she doesn't go to work, then he doesn't have the basic necessities. He doesn't have any food to eat. He doesn't have a roof over his head. And so now you have a woman who has to choose between the basic necessities and educating and nurturing her child. And it is really um, very sad that this is the America that we've become. Because really and truly, the ideals of America have been adapted all across the world and implemented, and they're doing quite well. The societies are doing very well. Education levels are through the roof. The people are happy. Their um, their cost of living is, is not as expensive, right? And so you have all of these examples of the pinnacles of our democracy, Right, but 
we do have those pinnacles here, but we have not enacted them. And I believe it's because they keep us as women thinking that our role is to be at home or it is to work. You have to be responsible, right, take care of your child. They've made it so that the structure doesn't allow us to truly push for what needs to be enacted, how to make America a America where a woman can go to work, make enough to not only provide for her basic necessities, but maybe even go out to dinner every once in a while. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are just simple, basic things. We could have that America, I believe, the more and more the community, the more and more labor, and I believe labor needs to extend beyond. It's not just automotive. It's not just um, teachers. It's everybody that works for a corporation. We all need to stand together because we're all losing. We're all working ourselves day in, day out. We're exhausted, we're tired, and now we're not nurturing our children. And then we have an educational system that is completely inequitable. And imagine if we as women felt as if, hey, I am going to run for office. I am going to be in leadership positions because I am going to push through bills and make amendments to our Constitution to make this right. Women have to get to that point, and I do believe that women created caring communities. I believe that labor um, and really a lot of the different community organizations that you see, they're doing that, and that's mm-hmm. what you need to see more of. Well, you know, I mean, and, and it really is because, you know, people don't understand that. And that 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 you're you're making these hard decisions, and it's sort of like, and it's not. There's a mental health part of it too. That you know, like when you know you have to make these decisions, you know, how that weighs on you, and you should be able, like you said, to occasionally enjoy, you know, life, to be able to be there for your child, you know, to be there. You know, I have to tell people, I said, having been a single mother, I knew that there were certain times, like we had this one rule, you don't screw up at school because I don't want to have to take up off work to come up here because you have messed up, you know. But then there were also times when there were things that took place in the middle of school, or, you know, where I knew other people who could take off, but I couldn't. I needed to be at work. And if they said, oh, you, you know, no, you can't, then that was just it. And there's that that weighs on you. And so you can imagine that, that now, I mean, and I sometimes, that was like back a, a while back, but there are women now who have two and three jobs to where maybe I might have missed a play or something, where they're missing so much of their yes. children's lives. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. they are. And it's it's just so unfortunate, and it's a disservice to, to our children and to the future of, of the leaders of this, this nation. I mean, it's a great nation, but we could definitely improve it. Mm-hmm. So how is, okay, the event is going to be at the UAW Local 600 Hall in Dearborn. What, when a woman comes, I mean, what are we going to see there? And enlightenment are welcome to come, you know. This is not a, uh, you know, a, a man-hating thing. This is about community. But what is going to be there? What are they going to see when they arrive at uh, Local 600 that day? Um, What they will see is various different women who are um, doing different things. Um, And at this time, we are are also going to have 
um, people who were there to talk about the Me Too movement, for example. Um, mm-hmm. And we're also going to have platforms for young people who um, are also going through things because we have one um, one of the organizers is bringing her daughter. And her daughter, you know, she has a friend that was involved in the Columbine shooting. So here mm-hmm. we are with another mass shooting, right? So you're going to see... Um, really an intersectionality of a lot of today's issues and what's happening um, today. And also what you will find is nurturing some education and some action. We definitely want to end with people understanding that, yes, this is a day where you're not only learning, um, but where you leave and feeling good, you know, you've had lunch, You've um, listened to some jazz, for example, had a few young people do a few different things, show off their talents, but then also lead with the understanding that, yes, I can I can sign the petition for equal pay, right, or mm-hmm. I can get registered to vote, or I can be a precinct delegate. So there will be several opportunities for women to get nurtured, understand the social movements of today, but then have the ability to act upon the things that they have learned about on that day. Will there be uh, women entrepreneurs there, or if so, that if you're you're thinking, you know, I've got an idea, or I want to go into business for myself, will there be other women entrepreneurs there who can like share tips, or they can at least see that women are also doing that? We are having um, some vendors. A lot of our vendors, for the most part, though, are resource-based. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, like, for example, um, we have, um, I can't think of the name of her organization, but it's, it's kind of interesting because you don't really think about these things, but she runs an organization that provides um, diapers, not only for children but for adults. And mm-hmm. diapers, here we are with a basic necessity, right? And she is literally providing diapers to the community who needs it, right? She goes around picking them up and and dropping them off, and she has organized this immense system. So while maybe I'm not sure if we have some entrepreneurs, I would say we have entrepreneurs in the community. They're not there for profit per se, but they are Mm -hmm. running huge organizations that are making and affecting change in their communities. And, you know, I know you said there will be networking opportunities. Um, as someone is, is there looking to, like, find out more about, like, the D15? Like, with maybe that they are, they'll be able to connect with people who are doing it, to be involved. Will there be a place where they can tell their stories, give their testimony of what they're seeing, like the young lady who has to make the decision about tampons? Will there be a a, a place where they can tell their stories or share their stories with someone? Yes. um, That's part of the uh, voices portion of the program. But um, we have an opportunity for women to kind of share with the the Me Too movement. But we also have um, what we call a fishbowl. But what it does is it gets women talking, and it gives women the opportunity to hear other women and the things that are going on, but it also gives the audience the opportunity to come up and also participate and discuss things that are happening 
you know, to them and, and their experience and their story. So there's a couple different opportunities really for women to not only um, engage one another but to share their story. And can they bring their children? Absolutely. I am a strong <laughs> proponent of this. <laughs> they will tell you from my local to my sorority to even women creating caring communities, I am nowhere without my children. I, in fact, we met last night, and I have both my nine-month-old and I have my seven-year-old, and I have one in the womb, so everybody was there. <laughs> so, yes, we, we, do, we do welcome children, and we do have a youth section. So that's not a problem at all. So in the youth section, there will be an activity for them? Um, what they do, actually, we have um, a youth leader who kind of goes off, and so she actually works with them, um, and she she does different things. As as far as I can tell, they do a lot more of the conversational piece. Um, however, it's a community event, so if we have anybody there with younger children, we have spaces for them. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So. Okay, so, and you said something about they'll be entertained in music. Will those be, who are you expecting to have there? Yes, uh, we are having a few uh, youth poets, and we do have uh, youth dancers. Um, I'm honestly not sure of their name, Mm -hmm. Um, but we have, we always are a platform for young people to be involved, Um, and I know that we have a seven-year-old going to do a poem in the beginning, um, mm. and there is a dance troupe who will be performing uh, right after lunchtime. Oh, so they'll have lunch. Uh, and yes. is that okay? So I have a question now. You talked about you earlier. You had said that one of the things was it was intergenerational. You have people from all of this. You just mentioned the seven-year-old. Okay, mm-hmm. who? What's the age range? Who is the the oldest person in the group that you've been working with? And what have you found, uh, discovered, as you share what you're seeing now and what they're bringing to the table from their life experience? Um, in terms of who's there now, I will say, because I will say that, of course, this, this um, group has been going on long before even I was there, but... Um, right now, I would probably say the eldest member that we have there is Frances Worthy. Now, Frances Worthy, actually, she um, is really a political strategist. She was a part of um, – she's been in politics for as long as I can remember. And so, really, um, what I believe that she brings is more of an understanding of politics and how important it is, um, and really an understanding of government, because um, – I will say that I do believe nowadays one of the unfortunate things is that government, political science, a lot of these things aren't necessarily a requirement anymore. And so many people are uneducated about how government works. And so her wisdom that she brings is not only practicalness but also a really good understanding of how everything from water shutoffs to wages um, to paid child care, how all of that is truly affected by government, right? Because 
um, it's not just enough for labor and community to come together. We also have to act. And I think she keeps us mindful of what actions we can do to truly create a change in our communities, whether it be locally or at the state level or at the federal level. Um, mm -hmm. And there is really no extent to age, to be honest with you. A lot of times with through our community participants, through labor, we have a variation of um, ages that really are allowed a platform during this event. And so I'm not sure, but maybe arguably the seven-year-old is the youngest. Even my mm -hmm. son has participated in, in little roles, and he's seven years old too. So, you know, it just, it just depends, but it's really and truly a free-flowing um, environment where we create platforms for people who otherwise wouldn't have them. What do you see is the, okay, it's too part. a common thread that's like from uh, Francis Worthy's on down, things that, that haven't changed, has continued to be a challenge for women. And what are you most hopeful about as far as change? I think one of the things that hasn't changed for women is that when you look at the fact that women, <laughs> this is with Rosie the Riveter, you know, really started engaging in the workforce. And it's still, there still is a gap, right, in pay, which mm -hmm. I think is huge because the union and, and, and one of the things that I do love about it is the fact that it takes anybody from any demographic and it provides them a middle-class job. And that middle-class job gives you the opportunity to send your children to good schools, you know, to be able to send them um, to college even, because my father worked for the UAW. And if he had not of, I highly doubt I might have been able to pay for college. Okay, mm -hmm. yes, you can take out student loans, but it's expensive. And so I look at it and I say, wow, this is an unresolved issue that has been in play for forever. And you had oh, President Obama who had the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, right? But this is years after um, I believe the first pay act was done, I want to say in the 60s. But it's just, it's just amazing that you have this legislation in place and still it's not, we don't have anything really truly to push for true equal pay. And it's astounding because think about how long women have been in the workforce now. And mm -hmm. now think about the fact that we have so many women who can vote, so many women. And if every woman voted, literally it will make a huge difference in how our politics and what our politics look like and what will we be talking about, right? Because not to be funny, but Viagra is an approved drug, but they don't want to provide prenatal care for women. They want to exactly. take Planned Parenthood away. Will we be having this conversation if women were in there? No. And so for me it astounds me that over the course of 60, 70 years, we still have been unable to push for equity for women. And it's not only in pay, but it's also even in dignity in a lot of cases because you have this Me Too movement now. And so now we're talking about in 2018 sexual harassment. It's astounding. And so those mm -hmm. are things that I think we have the opportunity 
to change. And um, what was the other question? I'm sorry. Oh, well, what, do you, what gives you the most hope? I think what gives me the most hope is the children of today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they give me hope because when you see them, even now at Capitol Hill, and they are participating in hearings, in difficult hearings, because their classmate was shot, or um, even the young people who are now involved in politics, I can actually have a conversation with my seven-year-old, and they, he explains to me how even amongst his classmates they talk about politics. And this is really, really interesting to me because I highly doubt that I was doing that. And, and, and as great as mm-hmm. I think that my parents were, at the end of the day, we weren't necessarily talking about that. But I look at the youth of today, even the poet that we're going to have, there is so much energy and understanding and compassion in them, and they give me hope. They give me the desire to continuously push to make America better than what it is, to make it more fair, to make it more compassionate. And to me, they are the future, but they truly make you think differently about what we consider to be severe obstacles, right? They, they just have that ability to look at something that, you know, we get regimented, we've done things this way, this is the way that it has to be. But with them, they just see things so plainly. And, mm-hmm. and they don't have those guards. And so to me, they give me more hope um, than anything. And, and, and I think that youth, they are going to drive change, and they always have ranging from the seven-year-old even up to the 20-year-old, they are making strides to make things different. That's great. That's great. You know, it's funny because when you talk about that, and I was telling you I was at this meeting, and there was one woman, I mean, to show you how the, the age range was, there was one woman who was there who talked about how when she first got into uh, organizing how they used hmm, a mimeograph machine and she was telling us how this mimeograph machine worked and then they were talking about how they were going to get the word out to someone and they would and and you could see the different generations you know like she had talked about how well you know she would write letter and they would make up their flyers and someone else was talking about how they would email and then some people talked about facebook twitter and all like that and there was a young person who was there i'd say who was in her ten her teens and she was like well, you know, we should just use Reddit and go on. And, and, you know, and it was just like, and at first it was that looking at, like, what? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. But she was like, I know what it is. And, you know, and if you'll let me, you know, be a part of this, you know, I'll show you. I'd be happy to take that part on. And what was great was, although there were some who were like, well, you know, that's that millennial stuff. We don't want to be a part of it. But there were others who recognized that, you know, we're all kind of in this boat together, <laughs> and everybody oh, yes. has can lift a certain point. And if this young lady could lift the Reddit part and get the word out, then you know, come on in. And yes. that was I thought was just like you said that that hope in youth and who are staying up on it and who are mobilizing and doing things in a way that we never could. You know, each generation is coming forward. 
So we're going to take our second break here. And um, we're coming into the home stretch. Ashley, I want to thank you. We will be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. We're back with Ashley Scales. Ashley, I'm going to tell you, you're a trooper. You've got two little ones and one on the way. I think I'd be wanting to, you know, part of you says you want to, I would be at home with my feet up on, uh, you know, eating some cookies. <laughs> but you're out there and you're doing it. And the fact that you said your seven-year-old is having these conversations, I mean, that's just really amazing because kids do learn at your, at your feet, listening and doing it. So for... Um, is there, okay, down to the basics here as we come into it. So this is going to be, although International Women's Day is on the 8th, this is that weekend, and it is at the UAW, um, is it 600 on, yes. where exactly is that? UAW Local 600 is on 10550 Dix Avenue mm-hmm. in Dearborn, Michigan. And do you know what it, what is that near? Or, I mean, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that most people go into their GPS and find it. But um, as far as parking, admission, is there any admission parking available? How's that? This is actually a free event, and um, mm-hmm. Local 600 is, is one of the largest, one of the largest locals that we have. In Michigan, so there is tons of parking for everyone. Um, and if there is a need, we also have shuttles for those who are disabled. Um, so again, it's free. Um, parking is is not an issue. It's literally um, a parking lot right outside of that local, and there's tons of it. So they don't have to worry about that. And if they are disabled, then we will definitely make sure that we have someone to shuttle them to the front door. Okay, then I have, I mean, and this is one of, this is one of my, my things as far as inclusion. If I'm listening to this and I'm going, gee, I'd like to get there, but I'm one of those people who have to ride the bus. I don't have regular transportation. Is there some place that they can, like, uh, contact someone to where maybe they can do ride sharing or get some information like, oh, it's close to this bus route or whatever? Um, actually, what I would do is, is contact uh, the uh, event coordinators, and they pretty much take care of a lot of the logistical things. So if if they desire to come, um, what I'll do is give you um, Rick, Rick 
filming. He actually is one of the organizers, mm-hmm. and he he is wonderful at making sure that um, people have access and opportunity to attend the event. Um, let me find his email really quickly. Okay. Um, it is. It's uh, Richard Feldman, 60, so R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-E-L-D-M-A-N, 60, at gmail.com. Okay. And, uh, okay. Now I have the schedule looks like it. The registration is from 9 to 10. And with registration, that's just to get an idea of who's there, contact information like you said it's free so you know i know that some people go like oh well why would i want to register because you want to plug in and you want to be we want to be able to reach you and you want to have people get information and do that so the registration is pretty harmless it's nine to ten the program begins at ten to two thirty and Will there be, and you said there will be vendors or like booths for resources that people can just sort of walk around and pick up information and literature also? Yes, and if there are people who are coming who um, would also like to drop off literature, we have a community table. So we have, we'll have a variety of things on that table. Um, but if you should come and you have an organization you would like to promote, it also is an opportunity to Leave your information there so people can also look at that table and find resources there also. And I did just want to mention, too, just in case people can't um, or don't have access to email, there is, um, Rick also has his number, which is 248-255-8037. Again, 248-225-8037. And um, if you reach out to him, he's wonderful and a great person. And if you need anything, he will let you know. If he can help okay. you or how to guide you, yep. Okay, and then there'll be a lunch provided. Yeah. Um, yeah. Will that be like ongoing? And is the lunch also free? Uh, the lunch is free, and um, we serve at noon. Um, and we don't necessarily, I wouldn't say that it's ongoing. We um, have always make sure to have enough for those that are there. And, mm-hmm. um you know, if a few people walk up and, you know, 12, 15, 12, 30, it wouldn't be a problem. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. Um, this is wonderful. So this is Celebrating International Women's Day. The theme this year is Creating Victory Through Values, Visions, and Voices. It will be Saturday, March 10th, uh, starting at 9 with registration, be over around 2.30. Um mm-hmm. I will be listing Rich's uh, email and phone number during the week leading up to it so people can contact and find out. If you're an organization, I hope that they'll support. You know, I mean, this will continue on. It's just not a one-time thing. They've been doing International Women's Day, so I'm sure there's ways that you can support. Ashley, I want to thank you not only for the work that you're doing, but for taking the time this afternoon to talk about International Women's Day and to share your thoughts. I mean, that story, I mean, I try to keep stories to share with people as I hear them. 
that story you told about that young woman working at Checkers, that is so powerful. I will be I I will be telling people that story. Um, and again, thank you for all you do. Thank you, and thank you for creating a space for where we can actually have this conversation because I think that um, that's really important and, and really getting people out to understand and, and really humanizing these movements. And it's thanks to um, bloggers like yourself, um, a lot of radio hosts who are really giving an authentic um, perception or, or an authentic view into what is really going on, right, and into human beings and what's really happening in the now. So thank you for creating this platform also. Okay, and I will be there on the 10th, so I'm going to seek you out, and I look forward to meeting you in person. <laughs> Ditto. Okay. Yep. Right. Okay, well, thank you so much. Thank you. And you have a good, a good afternoon. You too. You too. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. So we've come to the end of another episode of Collections by Michelle Brown. Our guest today was Ashley Scales. Ashley is a part of the International Women's Day Planning Committee that will be taking place in the Metro Detroit area on Saturday, March 10th. I hope you can attend. It is a free event, and I think you're going to get a lot of inspiration, motivation, and networking opportunities. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and let us know if you have a suggestion for our guest or a topic for a future show. That's all for today. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. That's right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.